Here at Continuum, we love seeing young adults, no matter where they are in their journey of faith, grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus. We are praying that this message encourages, enlightens, and strengthens your walk with Christ. For more information about Continuum, please visit us online at continuumministries.com or follow us on your favorite social media platform. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, how we doing? Awesome. It's good to see so many new faces. Hey, my name is Casey, and I am one of the pastors here at our church, and it's an honor to have you uh, just tonight at Continuum, a place where young adults get to hang out. Um, we're going to go ahead and tease this. Afterwards, we're going to go eat out, um, and we're going to go to Pine House. So that's where we're going. Um, so we would love to have you come in with us. Um, so Pastor Reed um, asked me to preach tonight. And funny thing is, is Pastor Reed and I, we've done life together for the last 13 years. Um, he was my youth minister, so I served under him. And in all of those 13 years, he's never heard me preach. Because typically when he asks me to preach, he's out of town. Um, so it's just funny that 13 years um, and tonight is, is the first time. Um, but so we are in a series called The Book of Daniel, um, Godly Living in an Ungodly Age um, or World. And we are tonight, we're going to be talking about living a stand-up life in a bow-down world. Two weeks ago when we kicked off this series, we basically talked about the theology of the book of, of Daniel. Last week, um, Pastor Reed talked about the culture and how the setting of Babylon, which the book of Daniel is set in, it's, it's not a locale. It's not a geographic location. It's a mentality. Um, it's a spirit that still exists today. Um, and according to the Bible, it's the main spirit that God is going to judge in the book of Revelation. Today, we're going to talk about what God has called us to do, and that's to stand firm. Like, we really need to be faced with the fact that culture might cause us to decide what we really believe. And we may be brought into an ultimatum. Honestly, we are probably the believers of all believers on the planet. And we probably have the least opportunity to actually do that. Um, to be honest, there's Christians today that are going to be faced with they either have to deny God or die. And the reality is, is we may never actually be faced with that. Lord willing, we won't. But I believe that God wants to put inside us the courage to be able to make a decision like that for God. Standing is a big theme throughout the Bible. You can't go very far in Scripture before the Bible says stand firm. Um, here's one verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. And it says, um, be on your guard. So it, it automatically starts, be on your guard. Because it begins with, hey, just watch out how this is going. It might be tougher than you think. Then it goes on to say, stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. That's what we're going to talk about, being strong. And when you do that, it's not to be a meanie. You don't jerk around about it. But then it says, do everything in love. Now, we all know that's pretty difficult to do, to do everything in love. Um, it balances those two things out. And again, I don't really feel like we have that kind of pressure about our faith. It's probably on the low end of the scale. It might be something like maybe you're in a restaurant, and you've all been there, where it's time to pray for the meal. And you're like, man, people are looking at me. I'm, I'm just going to say, God bless this food, amen. And then you get it done. Or maybe you go and maybe you go to Kirby Lane, and there's this one person who just prays a little louder 
our Father, thank you so much for this day. And you're like, oh my gosh, are we really, are we really here? And then what does he do? He just starts singing. Then sings my soul. And he just goes into a song, right? But then this is, this is actually the worst where it's a group of guys and, and you have the guy, he just wants to hold hands. It's like, okay, but I love you. I love you, but I love God, but I, I don't want to hold your hand. I'm sorry. I can still pray. I can still talk to Jesus. But everybody feels a little bit of that pressure. And then you kind of feel that guilt like, well, I probably should have. We shouldn't be embarrassed to thank the Lord for a meal. But then you have the other end. There's other believers that have lost their lives. Um, and, and there's some blogs and there's books out there that really bring up individuals who are faced with that. There's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who's in the middle of Nazi Germany. And even the Christian churches, as the trains went by that were filled with Jewish people that they were going to execute, didn't stand for their faith. Many of them just decided to sing the hymns louder so they couldn't hear the trains. But then Bonhoeffer said, no, I don't think so. This, this can't happen. And so he stepped off the stage preaching and got arrested and was hanged for his faith. In fact, his quote, right as he left the stage, he goes, I'm getting ready to die. He says, my end is coming and my new life is beginning. Be sure to tell my family that. And just like that, that's what the courage took. Then I think doc- about Dr. King. Some think that it was a political statement. I personally believe it was a faith that was driving an injustice, that he said this. This just can't happen. And right there in Birmingham, Alabama, he stood in the face of that and courage and stood really for something that I believe our God stands for. Tonight, we are going to talk about one of the stories in the book of of Daniel. Now, do we have anyone that watches like VeggieTales? Okay, so you know the Rack Shack and Benny. Have you seen that? Okay, well, so tonight, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Rack Shack and Benny. So let's look at Daniel 3. Chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. Now, throughout tonight, I want you to notice how many times image shows up. And not just an image, but also sound. Because what I want to point out to you is this is culture's way of getting its God inside of us. It's never like, hey, don't serve your gods. It's serve this God. And it would never say it that bluntly. They hide it in images and sounds. Always guard what you hear and what you see because the enemy is sly and he'll sneak his message into things that you think are benign. So, like, I love God, but I'm going to go watch this movie even though it mocks God. I mean, I'm just going for the friends and the fellowship, but yet this movie mocks God. Or how about that song, that song that, that mocks God? And, and we say, oh, it's just a song or it's just the beat. I'm just listening to the bass. Like that's all that matters. No, there, there's an underlying meaning of that. So he says he made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. So that's 90 feet by nine feet. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satrap, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates. So basically all of the top dogs and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of. There's the word again, not to, not to him, but just hide it in the image that he had set up. So they assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. This is what you were commanded to do. 
Now, culture will bring you to the place where it will make you think you have to. You're commanded to or you're going to lose it all. But as soon as you hear, and there's the word, not only the image, but what we're going to attach a sound to it. Always be careful what you hear and what you see. It might not be as innocent as you think. So he goes on to say in the next verse, he talks about the horn and the flute and the zither. Now, has anyone heard what a zither is? Okay, I hadn't either. It really cracks me up because I'm just playing this zither. So it's like a string instrument. It's in the guitar family, actually. So I'm playing the the zither, a lyre, a heart pipe, and all kinds of music. And he goes on to say, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing fire. So there were some Jews whom, and this goes on after verse 7, there were some Jews who, who you've set up over the affairs, these guys that are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were really not paying attention to your sounds or your images, your majesty, and they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, I love this because these guys were saying, look, I'm not bowing to this. Now, listen. We all bow to something, but it's important that you bow to the right thing. And I really think that you have to kind of be meticulous and careful about what you're giving your time, your attention, your affection, your resources, your love, and all of that too. What you worship is very important. And of course, the world that Nebuchadnezzar reacted is exactly how our world reacts. They get furious and they get mad. Now, we live in a toxic culture where it's not even that I disagree with you, but it goes on to be, I hate you. And it's horrible. If, if you don't believe what I believe, then it's, it's over. So Nebuchadnezzar going on, Nebuchadnezzar summoned these guys in and they brought him before the king and he said to them, is it true that you guys are not worshiping the image that I have set up? I'll give you one more chance, and when that music plays, you better fall down and worship the statue. All will be well. But if you refuse, now with this message today, I want to prepare you for situations that you might be faced with with the I don't want to do that. You young ladies, maybe you've been in a situation on a Friday night or a Saturday night with, with another guy that you didn't want to go there. Or maybe you've been in the office where there was a joke that was told that, that just went a little too far and you didn't want to go along you didn't go want to go along with it you wanted to walk away but you really didn't know what to do i'm convinced that the church and i think christians are put in a position where they are very ill equipped to handle they really don't know what to do and it's not that i'm a bad person because i really love god i just don't know what to do i don't know what to do because we are afraid of this if i refuse then hence the story they're going to be thrown into the burning fiery furnace Within the hour. And and what God can deliver you out of my hand, Nebuchadnezzar said. You know, you feel this shrugger. And you hear this. You hear this. Roar! And it's the devil. He's going to scare the fire out of you. But you know what? If you go over and you open that little gate, it's just a little puppy. You know, that's all it is. But... But we, come on, greater is he who's in me than he that is in the world. The Bible says that. You don't think that in this situation you'll get all intimidated now. And that's why I want to prepare you how to stand. How can we let culture really see that God is inside of 
us. Okay, so if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you some notes. The first one is standing firm takes courage. Standing firm takes courage. The word courage comes from the word core, the French word or Latin word heart. It's something in your heart. And let me be very clear about what courage is. Courage isn't the guy who is afraid of nothing. It's the person who might still have fears, but it's not going to bow down to them. Daniel chapter 3, look at what they said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not afraid. When you weren't worried about you or what's going to happen to us, they said, look, we've got a lot of problems right now, but it's not fear. Now, I'm pretty sure they actually did have some fear. They probably knew how bad that fiery furnace was, and they considered that threat to be credible. They didn't think Nebuchadnezzar was just bluffing here, but they had something come up inside of them that, honestly, I don't see a whole lot in the church anymore. I mean, hopefully you'll never need this message, but I think you would. You'll be put in those situations where you need to be heartened. Something is going to be stirred inside of you to stand in the face of a decision where culture says, no, you need to do this. And courage isn't the absence of fear. It's standing firm in spite of my fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's standing firm in spite of my fear. I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to tell you when you do it, something powerful happens. When you take that next step of courage, some great things happen. And you see that in the next part of the story. Another principle about standing, and that is standing firm takes faith. It takes faith. Faith in what, Casey? Faith in that God is on your side. Faith that God will deliver you out of that. Faith that God, no matter the consequences of your standing, is going to be there with you and help you through that situation so that you don't have to go through it alone. Look at this, Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. This is one of the coolest parts of the story. So if we're thrown in the fire, if we are thrown in the blazing fire, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, I don't know about you, but that's crazy. I mean, here they are. They're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. They're willing to die because they know they're not going to bow to that because they bow to a higher power. And it's all about Jesus. And they have that faith. It's that faith and a belief that God was on their side. And it was a faith and a belief in a principle that I believe. If you're in a Christian, you are in a win-win situation. One, one verse from 2 Timothy 4.18 says, My God will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. So it's a win-win situation. I get to serve Christ. If I die, it's gain. Paul said that. Now, Paul, he was like, it doesn't matter what I get to do. Like, so if I get to live, then I'm going to keep preaching and writing the Bible. But if I die, it's my gain because I get to go see Jesus. So it's a win-win situation. You can't mess with a guy who's in a win-win situation. Courage takes faith because faith is focused not on what you're standing against. We're not standing against anything. We're standing for our God. Let's not be a church that's against stuff. Let's be a church that's for God. If we don't stand for something, we fall for anything. If we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. 
we'll come back to that at the end of the message. Now, I don't hate culture or political parties. I don't hate groups. I don't hate people who do bad things. I love God, and I stand because I love God. So it's a good principle. Look at Daniel 3.19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times higher than usual and commanded them, commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his armies to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing fire. And it keeps going. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his adversaries, Now, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Y'all. He said the fourth one looked like Jesus. Jesus was in there. And this is Nebuchadnezzar who was the one that commanded them to bow down. And they refused. And they went into the furnace. And who showed up? Jesus. Now, in theology, this is what we call a theophany. And we don't usually understand it. But time to time, we get to know, we have to know that Jesus is sitting right next to God. He's always been there except for the 33 years that he came to earth. And before he was there, before he was in Bethlehem, John chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, says he was from the beginning. So he's part of the Trinity. He was there in the garden, and he's always been right there next to the Father. But from time to time, Jesus likes to say, hey, Dad, I'll be right back. And so what does he go down? He goes down, and he freaks out on Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, just watch, Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to show you this. So Nebuchadnezzar came as close, and as you saw, he was changed. When you think you take a stand in a culture, you don't have to get away from culture. You can be right in the middle of it and not have a hair on your head singed. You don't have to smell like culture anymore. Another point, standing firm inspires others. Standing firm inspires others. Others, you think they're going to hate you for it. No, they're actually going to love you for it. Well, what about taking Jesus into the office? Well, that doesn't mean that you have to get on your office desk and, and just proclaim Jesus to everyone that comes in. No, it means that you simply can love them. Before I came on staff here at Christian Life, I worked for um, a real estate company, Cobalt Banker United Realtors, as their office manager. Um, and when I moved here five years ago, it was for a church plant. And so I had to find a job. And so um, I went in. I don't even remember applying for the job because I had sent in so many applications. And they called me in, and they were already in on um, second interviews, second rounds of interviews. And so this was for, at the time, the assistant office manager position. So I went in, and which my resume, I've worked in church my whole life. Um, so it was just Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I didn't find this out at the time. I found it out later. Um, but the office manager, um, he was an atheist, didn't believe in Jesus. Um, and so he was, oh, great. Here comes this Jesus-loving dude that's going to try to shove Jesus down my throat. Like, this just isn't going to work. Um, but what I did was I just loved him. And I got to work with him for nine months before he moved. And on the last day that he was there, 
um, we went to lunch together, um, and, and I took that opportunity to, to truly share the gospel of Jesus with him, because I didn't know if we'd ever see each other again. But he said, Casey, you know what? And he told me that when I was hired, I thought, great, he's just going to come in here and try to shove Jesus down my throat. He said, but that's not what you did. You just loved me. And you changed the way that I viewed Christianity. Because all you did was love. So he's not a believer today, one day, hopefully, but we moved a little closer. And that was nine months of just loving and loving. And it wasn't just loving him. It was loving all 50 people in my office. And yes, they knew what I was here for. They knew I was here for a church plant. They knew that I loved Jesus. They knew that it was a huge part of my life. And yes, I would invite them to come. But it wasn't that I tried to shove Jesus down their throat. Every place you go, your standing can inspire people. And then Nebuchadnezzar. So this is, this is probably somewhat of the funniest part of the story, I think. Um, so in verse 19, it says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. So he's basically like, hey, I'm a Christian now. I'm with you guys. They trusted in him and defied the king's come and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other god other than their own. Then he says, therefore, I decree that anybody who doesn't agree with these guys, God cut them into pieces. Now, he was saved, but he wasn't quite sanctified. He still needed, he still needed to work through that. And what, he needed to figure out really what his purpose was. In fact... He went on to say, if you don't serve God, God cut them into pieces and go into their houses and just turn them into piles of rubble. And he needed God so for no other God can save in that way. Then the king, I love this word, he promoted them. And they thought they were, they were taking a stand and they would be demoted. But the exact opposite happened. I believe with all my heart that God has not only called me and our church to be a voice in our nation. But God has called us to be so much more than a church. We're not here just to sing kumbaya or to check that spiritual box off to make us feel good. Yes, he'll be there if somebody dies or wants to get married and, and I'm just going to go in my life. No, that's not what we're here in Austin to do. We're here to take the message of Jesus outside of these four walls. We're here to love. We're here to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to provide shelter to the, to the homeless. God has called us. We are on our mission. But it's not just our calling. If it's our calling, it's your calling. And that's why you've got to be on the team. That's why it's so important if you come to church that you're doing something, that you get involved. And I think anyone who is involved would tell you that. There's so much more about what getting involved in instead of just sitting on the sidelines. No, you're in it. Every, every Sunday morning at 1030, we do a Start Here Next Steps class, and that helps you take your next step. That helps you get you plugged in to serving and to help fulfill the purpose that God has put on your heart. You have a choice in culture. You can either be a voice or you can be an echo. So be a voice, not an echo. You don't want to just resound what, whatever everybody else says. No, be who God has called you to be. As I close, I want to come back to that one thought um, about the whole process of standing. And this is where we're standing for something, not against something. We're not going to focus on what we don't like in culture. We're going to focus on how much we need God. So thinking back about the past 13 years of, of ministry, one year of that has been full-time, paid full-time. All 12 years of that was simply volunteer. 
And it was because I knew what God had called me to do. He called me to serve. And so I was even in college, and I would drive an hour and 15 minutes every week to go back home to lead worship, to go back home and to pour into the lives of youth, and then drive back the next day to college, go back on the weekend. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of gas, a lot of time. I didn't have the typical college experience. I didn't live in a dorm. I was at home. I was in an apartment. But like, And I missed out on all the college things, but I'm not sad about it because I was doing what God called me to do, and I wasn't going to let the devil to keep me from doing that. And it's easy for us to get sidetracked. I can give you 20 things to stand for, but I'm just going to give you three tonight. The first thing is to stand in prayer. Stand in prayer. Now, this one, I think religion has, has kind of hijacked prayer. It's turned to, oh, it's my quiet time, so I have to be completely quiet. No. Well, you say, well, Scripture says be still and know that he is God. Yeah, it says be still, but it doesn't say be quiet. We are in such a fast-paced society that we often overlook who God is. And if we can just stand still, but we can be loud with our prayers, we can take that stand, then that's what it's all about. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your guard, Ephesians 6.13 and 14. And after you've done everything to stand because what you're going to do, you're going to keep on standing. It's so important that you realize that, that it's, it's a dynamic part of my day. It's not a passive part of my day. And I'm all about meditation and devotion and solitude. And I have those quiet times in my time of worship. But I encourage you to stand up in prayer. When I first got saved back in 2001, um, that morning we had a see you at the pole. Y'all, are you all familiar with see you at the pole? Yes. Okay. So... A group of students gathered around the flagpole, um, and it was to pray. And they were taking a stand. So this was where everyone in the school would rock right past you, you know. And, like, this is when eyes are kind of like, oh, they're a believer? Hmm, didn't know that. Uh, But you could feel that tension there. But these people were taking a stand. And not only taking a stand, they were praying for their school. They were praying for their classmates. They were praying for their country. And as time went by, people would walk by and they would say, hey, I forgot to pray for, I forgot to study for my test. Can you pray for that? Because I really need help. Um, I don't know how many times in college I didn't study as much as I needed to and I always, that was always my prayer. But my uh, professor, it was, a, it was a Christian private school, he would come back and say, he would pray before our test. He would say, God, let him do as good as they studied. And it's like, well, um, I can't do that. Um, All right, the second one. Here's another one for the stand-up verse. Stand for your purpose. Because all of hell is going to try to keep you from doing what you're doing for God. In fact, he's talked a bunch of you out of being involved in some kind of ministry. And being on our dream team. Because you've said things like, well, I'm not worthy. Well, welcome to the crowd. Or I've had a bad week. Well, welcome to the crowd. The enemy will lie to you and say that you're not worthy. But we already know that. We know that we aren't worthy, so that's why we need Jesus. Because Jesus came for sinners, for us. That's why we stand up, not because of who we are, but because who God is inside of us. And you could do something. Don't ever give up on your calling in life. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, there's our word. Look, stand firm. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
and always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Yes, I've had days where I've wanted to quit. I think we all have. But that's why I'm still serving because I'm not going to let the enemy win. I'm not going to let him move me. I've made up my mind, and I know that all of hell is going to try to get me to do something else with my life, but I know that I'm called to do this. You have to stay in your calling and your purpose band if you'll join me. And my last one, we need to stand for God. If you do nothing else, just stand for him. You know why? Because he stood for you. Think about it. He put his whole life on the line. He put his career on the line. He put his reputation on the line. In fact, the Bible says he made himself of no reputation. You know why? Because of you. Hebrews says it was for the joy set before you. He endured the cross. You know what the joy was? It was you. I don't want to do this. Stop. Stop. Oh, wait. There's Casey. Okay. Go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. I don't don't think, I don't want to do this. No, there's Adam. Okay, go ahead. You were the joy set before him. He took a bold stand for you. And I proudly stand. I'm a Christian. I stand and represent the only true God. I love Jesus. I'm proud of the Bible. I believe it's God's word, and and it takes us to take a stand. The Bible says that if you acknowledge Jesus, Jesus says this, if you acknowledge me in front of people, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. But then he goes on to say, if you deny me in front of people, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I guess you weren't that serious about this relationship. Well, here's how the message says, stand up. Matthew 10, 32. Stand for me against the world's opinion, and I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. So I want to close with one thought. Jesus isn't standing right now. He's sitting. There's one time in the New Testament where it talks about that he stands. In Colossians 3, it says Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews goes on to say he's seated. They're praying for you and me, talking to God about you and me. He's making intercession. The one time that he stood in the New Testament, it was for this guy named Stephen. And Stephen, he wouldn't stop preaching. He was the first Christian martyr. There's been billions since. He was the first person who lost his life for Christianity. He's got that beautiful distinction is as they were stoning him. So he's tied to a pole. That's how they did it. And they would literally keep stoning him and stoning him until you couldn't see him. Acts 7, 55 and 56 says, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven. He saw Jesus not sitting, standing. He said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man is standing. You know, Jesus does stand on occasions. And when is that? Write this down. When I stand, Jesus stands with me. When I stand, Jesus stands with me. Lord, I pray. God, I pray for courage. God, a courage that's filled with grace, a passion of the heart to stand in God. Not arrogantly, not because we got it right. No, God, we stand because of who you are. Let our standing inspire the world around us. God, I pray as we leave this place, God, that we're full of the Holy Spirit. God, and that we are standing just like Stephen stood, 
we know today that you are standing with us. Now, I want to ask you a question. Keep your eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, well, Casey, I'm so convicted because I haven't stood. I've been kind of a compromising Christian. Maybe not one at all. I just know that my relationship with God is not at the commitment level that it needs to be. And today I want to take a stand. Now, I want you to do this privately. There's a later time to be able to do it publicly, and that's where baptism comes in. But first, it's making that private, that private decision. And you're here today and you say, Casey, I know I'm supposed to take a stand for God. My relationship isn't right, or maybe it's not even in existence, and I want to stand with Jesus. I'm making a stand today in my faith to put Jesus where he belongs in my heart. We're going to pray right where you are for you in your seat. We're not going to make you come to the front. We're not going to make you go anywhere. Just praying a prayer right there where you're seated. Now, if that's you, I want you to lift your hand so that we can include you in this prayer. Awesome. 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 Hands all over the room. All right, you can put your hand down. Father, God, thank you for standing right there with me. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross who for the joy set before him, God, you endured the cross for us. God, I pray, God, that we would have that faith, that we would have that courage to take that stand. God, it's not always easy. But God, you give us the boldness to do it. God, and it's so, so worth it. God, the enemy tries to feed us lies and lies and lies. And sometimes we just let him win. But God, he doesn't deserve that. God, it's all about you. God, I pray for that courage. God, I pray that we would stand. God, that we would stand at school. That we would stand at work that we would stand with our friends. God, and that we would surround ourselves with people who are standing. God, I pray as we go out these doors, God, that we go out in such a way that we radically impact the world that we're in. But that we don't become We don't let the world tell us what to do. Father, let us stay true to what your word says. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you.